0: historic summit. President Trump touts his upcoming meeting with Kim Jong-un.
1: The relationship is good. I think it's going to be a very big success.
0: And welcomes home American prisoners freed by North Korea.
2: We want to thank Kim yeah. Jong-un. Yeah. nice in letting him go.
0: But can the North Korean dictator be trusted? And on message... President Trump delivers on a campaign promise.
1: The United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal.
0: As legal troubles and contradictions distract the president, will the drama overshadow his foreign policy efforts? National Security Advisor John Bolton is here next. Plus, defending decency. Lawmakers from both parties are outraged after a White House aide makes a crass comment about Senator John McCain. I'm
3: not gonna comment on an internal staff meeting.
0: McCain's Senate colleague Bernie Sanders will be here. Hello, I'm Dick Tapper in Washington where the state of our union is global. President Trump is trying to keep the focus on his major international moves as unforced errors from his own White House Compete for attention with foreign policy. The president took to Twitter Saturday to call former President Obama's Iran deal, quote, a big lie and point to a new announcement from North Korea, saying, quote, North Korea has announced that they will dismantle nuclear test site this month ahead of the big summit meeting on June 12th. Thank you. A very smart and gracious gesture, unquote. International stability may now depend upon President Trump's negotiating prowess. And the president is gearing up for another major foreign policy week. Monday, he will appear by video at the opening of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, as foreign ministers from Germany, France, and the U.K. plan to meet without the United States to try and save the Iran nuclear deal. And here to discuss, President Trump's National Security Advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. Ambassador Bolton, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. So we have a lot of topics to get to. I want to start with the Iran deal. Um, It took a decade uh, of worldwide sanctions against Iran um, to get Iran to come to the table To make this deal, which I know you and the president feel is inadequate, can you explain to me how you're going to be able to get Iran to agree to a new tougher deal without the participation in sanctions of China and Russia and Europe?
1: Well, I think you have to start first with the fundamental deficiencies of the deal itself. Uh, It would not stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Quite the contrary, it provided cover for Iran to continue its efforts. Uh, And if it had continued, it would have given Iran extraordinary economic benefits uh, without any guarantees of Iranian performance. So the rationale for getting out of the deal is it was contrary to American national security interest when we entered into it, and it hadn't gotten any better with age. Can I just just poke for one second? When you say it provided cover for them
0: to create a a nuclear program, you're talking about the sunset provisions that allow Iran, I'm I'm just seeking clarity here, that, uh, that allow Iran in seven or eight years to commence again a nuclear energy program?
1: Well, I think the sunset provisions were clearly a mistake, but I think uh, Iran had never made a strategic decision to give up nuclear weapons. I think it was testing the limits uh, of the deal's provisions, exceeding them in some cases. Uh, Its ballistic missile program, which continued essentially unchecked, Uh, was proof that what they were seeking was delivery systems for the nuclear weapons. So the president has to make a decision uh, where America's national interests lie, and it did not lie in continuing this deal. Now, the consequence of the United States getting out of it uh, is to reimpose all American sanctions as they were before the deal came into effect. And I think what we've seen is that uh, Iran's economic condition is really... Uh, quite shaky, so that the effect here could be dramatic. And I think there's another important point here that the president has made. Uh, Because of the deal, Iran was able to take advantage of turmoil in the region to advance its interest all across the Middle East, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, uh, in Yemen, so that the consequences of being able to sell Iranian oil without restriction Mm -hmm. on the international market were providing them resources, not just Uh, for their nuclear program, not just as the world's central banker of international terrorism, but conventional hostilities across the region as
0: well. Okay, so I take your point on that, but still... The United States imposing economic sanctions is a far cry from the United States and China and Russia and Europe imposing economic sanctions. The U.S. essentially, at least as as of now, going it alone.
1: How will that force Iran back to the table? But we're not going it alone. We have the support of Israel. We have the support of the uh, Arab oil producing monarchies and many others. And the consequences of American sanctions go well beyond goods uh, shipped by American companies because of our technology licenses to many other uh, countries and businesses around the world. As those sanctions kick in, it will have an even broader effect as well. So President
0: Trump said this week that, quote, any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States. Is the United States going to sanction European companies that do business with Iran?
1: I think the issue here is what the Europeans are going to do. If they're going to see that it's uh, not in their interest to stay in the deal, uh, we're going to have to watch what the Iranians do. They'd love to stay in the deal. Why shouldn't they? They got everything they wanted uh, from the Obama administration. But I think the Europeans uh, uh, will see that it's in their interest ultimately to come along with us. I, I, with all due respect, I've been
0: speaking to European diplomats, and that's not the impression I get. Well, they, that's, not
1: they, the, that's not the impression now. They, I mean, they say they're going to stay in the deal, and and they may try to do so in in part because I think, despite the complete consistency of President Trump uh, in his opposition to the deal. Opposed to it as candidate Trump, opposed to it as President-elect Trump, opposed to it as President Trump. Many people, including apparently uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry, uh, thought that we never would get out of it. Now, I I don't know uh, how to explain why people could miss what the president was saying. So I think at the moment, there's some feeling in Europe that Uh, They're really surprised we got out of it, really surprised at the reimposition of strict sanctions. I think that will sink in and we'll see what happens then. The president's very clear. He wants to discuss the larger threat posed by Iran around the region. And this is what he discussed with President Macron. He's talked about it with Chancellor Merkel. He's talked about it with Prime Minister May, not just Iran's nuclear threat now, the threat in the future, uh, the ballistic missile programs and the instability uh, right. that Iran is causing around the region. But with all due respect, I didn't get an answer to the question: Is the U.S. going to
0: impose sanctions on European companies that continue to do business with Iran? Uh, I think I did give the, answer. Well, you and the said, answer. we'll see.
1: The answer is it's possible. It depends possible. on the conduct of other governments.
0: Okay. You've repeatedly pushed before you were national security advisor for regime change in Iran. I know that that is not the current position of the United States government. Um, but are you behind the scenes pushing for to become the position of the United States government, regime
1: change? Look, let me make a general subject on that statement that I've made on uh, other competing networks uh, of yours. Uh, I've written and said a lot of things over the years when I was a complete free agent. I certainly stand by what I said at the time. Uh, but, but those are my opinions then. The, the circumstance I'm in now is... Uh, that I'm the national security advisor to the president. I'm not the national security decision maker. He makes the decisions uh, and the advice I give him is between us. Is it fair to
0: anticipate that the advice you're given is matched with the advice that you gave the United States when you were a free agent?
1: See, see my previous answer.
0: Well, let me ask you about another thing that you've pushed for in the past, which is a preemptive strike against Iran's uh, nuclear facilities. What might prompt such a
1: preemptive strike by the US government. Same question, same answer.
0: Well, this is not theoretical. I mean, it's possible that Iran is gonna resume its nuclear weapons program, given the United States withdrawing from the deal, a warning to the Iranians about
1: what they cannot do without risking a preemptive strike, is certainly within your current bailiwick. Right. But I'm not going to speculate on what those uh, what those steps might be. The president has, uh, I think, very clear policies now, both with respect to North Korea and Iran. Those are the policies we're pursuing.
0: Just yesterday, an Iranian military commander told reporters that Trump's decision would, quote, speed up the annihilation of Israel. Now, Iran is obviously a bad actor in the region, and Iran is responsible for its own behaviors. But... I wonder, do you think the U.S. withdrawing from this deal has changed the calculus of the thinking of the military commanders and other leaders in Iran as to being more aggressive when it comes to cyber attacks, attacking
1: Israel, or whatever? Well, I think they've been plenty aggressive enough uh, under the deal. That's part of the problem. If you look at uh, the enhancement of Iran's strategic position in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, the arc of control that they're seeking to construct. Uh, with conventional forces all the way from Iran to the Mediterranean. If you look at what they're doing uh, in Yemen to support the Houthi rebels, to gain a position uh, of control there behind the lines, in effect, of Saudi Arabia and the other oil-producing monarchies, uh, they have used the uh, obsession with the nuclear deal uh, to continue to expand and threaten dominance throughout the Middle East. I think getting out of the deal says to Iran, those happy days are over from the U.S. perspective. Let's
0: turn to North Korea and the summit uh, between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, now less than a month away. Uh, I want to talk about the goals of this meeting. North Korea said it intends to denuclearize. President Trump was asked recently what
4: that means to him. Take a listen. On uh, North Korea, you said you believe in complete denuclearization. What does that mean exactly? It means they get rid of their nukes.
1: Very simple. They get rid of their nukes and nobody else would say it. Okay.
0: Obviously, there's a little bit more when it comes to the demands that would be met in an actual summit. Uh, There's missile capabilities, there's there's uranium enrichment, uh, there's international inspections. Can you clarify, heading
1: into these negotiations, exactly what does
0: complete denuclearization mean?
1: Well, I think the phrase that we've used and continue to use is complete, verifiable and irreversible denuclearization. You, You can look at some other commitments that North Korea made in the past. Uh, and didn't live up to as uh, as helping to define uh, what that means. For example, in the 1992 joint North-South denuclearization agreement, North Korea committed uh, to give up both uh, the front and the back ends of the nuclear fuel cycle, both uh, uranium enrichment and plutonium reprocessing so uh, on the denuclearization side itself that means all aspects of their nuclear program clearly uh, the ballistic missile program as with Iran, uh, with the intention of being a delivery system for nuclear weapons that's got to go i think we need to look at their chemical and biological weapons programs as well Uh, The president's going to raise other issues, the Japanese abductees, South Korean citizens who were kidnapped. So there are a lot of issues to discuss. Secretary Pompeo and his uh, successful trip to Pyongyang just returned last week uh, foreshadowed that. Uh, We'll look to see if there are discussions in the next few weeks that uh, lay it out in more detail. But it's an ambitious uh, program and that's why it's important to test whether, in fact, North Korea has made a strategic decision uh, to give up weapons of mass destruction.
0: Ambassador Bolton, stay right there. I have more questions for you about North Korea and more, uh, including how President Trump is preparing for his meeting with Kim Jong-un. Stay with us. And we're back with U.S. National Security Advisor uh, John Bolton. Ambassador Bolton, we were just talking before the break about the uh, summit with North Korea. Um, I know that you and President Trump have made it very clear that reducing uh, American troops in South Korea is not on the table so what is the u.s. prepared to offer north korea in exchange for denuclearization is it is it just sanctions relief might there be uh, an embassy in pyongyang might there be economic aid
1: well i wouldn't look for economic aid from us i think what the the prospect of uh, for north korea is to become a normal nation uh, to behave and interact with the rest of the world uh, the way south korea does and uh, if you've ever looked at a map of the korean peninsula at night or a picture of the north korean peninsula at night uh, the contrast between north and yeah. south korea is the most stark of any lights darkness uh, exactly you, you can't tell north korea from the uh... from the yellow sea or the sea of japan on either side of it so the prospect for north korea is unbelievably uh, strong if they'll commit to denuclearization. That, that's, what, uh, that, that's what the president's going to say. I think the vision is clear, and uh, we'll see whether Kim Jong-un is up to it.
0: A great moment a few nights ago when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, brought back the three American prisoners from North Korea. I do want to point out, in 2009, when former President Bill Clinton went to North Korea during the Obama years to argue for the release of two American journalists who had been uh, captured by the North Koreans, you wrote in a Washington Post opinion piece, quote, In Pyongyang's view, the two reporters are pawns in the larger game of enhancing the regime's legitimacy and gaining direct access to important U.S. figures. So the Clinton trip is a significant propaganda victory for North Korea, whether or not he carried an official message from President Obama. Was that different from what Secretary of State Pompeo did bringing home these three detainees? Was that not also a propaganda victory?
1: Well, uh, it's a fair question, but the answer is it is completely different. Because of the uh, president's maximum pressure campaign, uh, North Korea has come to a point that, that they never reached under any prior president. Uh, And I think what they did here was concede that holding these three Americans as pawns in a propaganda game wasn't getting them anywhere. So they came out without precondition. It was the right thing to do. Uh, But it's really because of the different policies that North Korea faces from the United States, I think, that they made that decision. Don't President Bush and President Obama deserve at least some credit
0: for imposing economic sanctions against North Korea that, in tandem with what President Trump did,
1: helped create this moment? Well, let's be clear. From the U.S. perspective, there have been stringent economic sanctions uh, against North Korea ever since the Korean War. Right. Uh, but what, they've gotten worse and worse. What we've done internationally over the years is ratchet up the pressure, but they've never reached the level, particularly of Chinese cooperation, uh, that Kim Jong-un has faced. And I think the combined effect of all that, together with having a wretched internal economy to begin with, uh, has, uh, has, has brought us to the point we're at now. How is President Trump preparing for this summit? Obviously, he is somebody who prides
0: himself in deal making, but sitting across the table from Kim Jong Un is going to be more different from anything he's encountered. Much different from Chuck Schumer. Much different from Nancy Pelosi. Um, I mean, I can't. Sure, they'd be glad to hear that too. (laughs) But I don't think you disagree with it. But but I mean, this is something that, that he's never faced before.
1: Well, and neither has any other American right. president. So uh, his preparations have actually been extensive already. He's talking to a lot of different uh, people, foreign leaders. He had an extensive conversation with Xi Jinping of China earlier this week. He's consulting with uh, with all of his advisors. You know, I've, I've been on the job about five weeks. I would say that uh, Iran and North Korea have probably taken up over half of my time, and a lot of that obviously is is helping him make the decisions and get ready for these meetings. So I think his preparations are very intense. People have said, well, you can't uh, prepare in such a short time for such a momentous meeting. I I had uh, exactly the opposite uh, reaction when I first heard about it. There's real utility in bringing these two leaders together. Let them see each other and decide, in our case, whether we judge that Kim Jong-un has made a strategic decision to give up nuclear weapons. Dragging this out just gives the North Koreans more time, if they are dissembling, to continue to make progress on their ballistic missile and nuclear programs. Let's get the two leaders together and see what happens.
0: Let me be optimistic and say that he achieves some sort of treaty agreement. Is it then worth President Trump bringing it to Congress to affirm the treaty, to to vote the treaty uh, into law, Um, which would, of course, be a complete contrast with the way President Obama uh, negotiated the Iran deal, um, and would and would give it the added benefit of making it so the next
1: president can't undo it. Well, it's entirely possible we'd proceed that way. We're still thinking about the different alternatives. so I wouldn't want to foreclose the president's options. But it's been one of the criticisms of the Iran nuclear deal to be sure that that a deal of that level of consequence was not given to the Senate, uh, as many people think the Constitution provided.
0: I want to ask you uh, about Senator John McCain in a private meeting this week at the White House. The information leaked out. Special assistant to the president, Kelly, Kelly Sadler, reportedly joked that his, uh, McCain's opposition to CIA nominee Genus Haspel didn't matter, quote, because he's dying anyway, as you know, Senator McCain is battling brain cancer right now. It's a pretty horrific remark. Uh, you've worked with Senator John McCain. My understanding is you have a decent relationship with him. How do you feel about that comment, and, and
1: why won't the White House apologize? Look, I, I wasn't in that meeting. I don't know what was said or what was done. I'll just say this. Uh, uh, John McCain came to my defense in 2005 uh, when my nomination for, to be U.N. ambassador was uh, under criticism, he, he and I didn't know very, each other very well at the time. Uh, we certainly didn't agree on each and every uh, position that he or I had taken, but he spent countless hours trying to help me out. And uh, much of it was behind the scenes. There was no political upside for John McCain in that effort at all. But he did it because he thought I was being treated unfairly. Uh, I'll never forget it. I'll be grateful uh, forever, and I wish John McCain and his family nothing but the best.
0: Megan McCain said, um, the thing that surprises me most is, I don't understand what kind of environment um, Kelly Sadler is working in, when that would be acceptable, and she could come to work the next day and still have a job. I've just given you my view. But doesn't the White House have an obligation to apologize for this horrific remark?
1: I've said what I'm going to say on the subject. All right, Ambassador John Bolton, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. We hope to come back. Glad to be with you.
0: Democrats are expressing confidence about victory in November in the midterms. But are there new signs that the so-called blue wave has turned into a blue trickle? We'll talk to Senator Bernie Sanders next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. CNN's latest polling shows President Trump's approval rating at 41 percent. That's pretty much where it's been all year. But here comes a number That really got our attention, 57% of Americans polled say things in the country are going well. We have not seen that high a number on that question and that much optimism since way back in January 2007, more than 10 years ago. What does that mean for Democrats heading into the midterms in 2020? Joining me now, Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who caucuses with the Democrats. Senator, thanks for joining us. I want to start with that new poll number. The midterms are now fewer than six months away. The economy is stronger uh, we're at virtually full em- employment. Why would anyone want to vote for change right now?
5: Well, I think what you have is a president who promised the American people to provide health care to everybody uh, and then proceeded to support legislation to throw 32 million people off of health insurance. And most Americans think that health care should be a right of all people. We're moving in exactly the wrong direction. Uh, you have a president, Jake who said that his uh, tax reform bill would not help the rich, yet 83% of the benefits are going to the top 1%. Millions of middle-class families over a 10-year period will be paying more in taxes. You have a president who campaigned appropriately enough on the outrageous rip-offs of the pharmaceutical industry, and he said he was going to take them on. And just the other day, he caved in, of course, and did not go forward in demanding that we negotiate and Medicare negotiate prices with the drug companies or that we allow our pharmacists and distributors to reimport low-cost medicine uh, from abroad. So I think what the American people perceive is you have a president who says one thing uh, and does another thing. Uh, and the fact is that we have, while the economy is doing well, you have tens of millions of people who continue to work for wages that are far, far too low We need to raise the minimum wage to at least 15 bucks an hour. President talked about that during the campaign, but he has forgotten that uh, since he has been elected president. So I think in many ways you have a president who said something during the campaign and is moving in a very, very different direction Uh, after he took office.
0: I want to get your reaction to my interview with President Trump's new National Security Advisor Ambassador John Bolton. Uh, He said President Trump is already undergoing extensive preparations on North Korea. Uh, What was your response to the interview?
5: Well, I got to say something. Needless to say, I I disagree with John (laughs) on a whole lot, but I will give him credit for chutzpah. Uh, This is a man who was a key advisor to President Bush, George W. Bush, in urging him to get involved and to invade Iraq because supposedly Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. As I think most Americans now know, uh, that effort in Iraq was the worst foreign policy uh, disaster in the modern history of this country. We lost 4,400 American soldiers, brave soldiers, 31,000 wounded, half a million Iraqis dead, and then Bolton talks about appropriately so the increased influence that Iran now has in Iraq. Yeah, that's true. And that's precisely because of the war in Iraq. So I think you have some people, unfortunately, in Washington, Bolton being one of them, uh, who believe that war and militarism is the answer to everything. We have spent over $2 trillion in the wars in Iraq, in Afghanistan. Uh, And yet today our infrastructure here in the United States is crumbling. We have millions of people can't afford to go to college or are leaving college deeply in debt. Maybe, just maybe, we might want to be investing in the American people rather than inflated military budgets and more and more wars.
0: You heard uh, Ambassador Bolton uh, say uh, some nice things about Senator John McCain um, after this White House aide, uh, Kelly Sadler, made this disgusting joke uh, about how his vote doesn't matter because he's gonna die anyway. Um, you've served in the Senate with McCain for more than a decade. Um, it was a meaningful moment last summer when he returned to the Senate. Uh, you gave him a hug on the Senate floor. Uh, this is right after he'd returned uh, from Arizona where he was being treated for brain cancer. Um, what is your response uh, to the, the comment uh, from Kelly Sadler, the White House official who, who joked that McCain was dying anyway so his vote doesn't matter? What was your action, and and what do you think about the White House not apologizing? Well, let me just say this.
5: I have known John McCain for many years, and obviously he and I have strong differences of opinion, although we did work together on a major veterans bill. And I personally like John very, very much. He is very well respected in the Senate and in the country. And, Jake, it is beyond my comprehension. Uh, It is one thing in the White House for somebody to say something crude and stupid and disrespectful of an American hero. It is another thing for them not to apologize. So it is beyond my comprehension, and I just don't know what goes on in that White House mentality uh, for there not being an apology for that terrible remark.
0: White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly uh, did an interview with NPR this morning. He was asked about his response to people who say it's heartless for US border officials to separate families of undocumented immigrants, separate parents uh, from children. He said, quote, I wouldn't put it quite that way, the children will be taken care of, put into foster care or whatever, but the big point is, they elected to come illegally into the United States and this is a technique that no one hopes will be used extensively or for very long. Uh, What are your thoughts? I think it is heartless. I think the entire
5: Trump views on immigration is heartless. You know, uh, in the last polls that I have seen, Uh, Some 80% of the American people believe uh, that we should provide legal status to the 1.8 million people in the DACA program who are eligible for DACA. Uh, And that's a program that Trump killed. Uh, The American people believe that we should move forward uh, to comprehensive immigration reform. And Trump is moving in exactly the wrong direction. And we see the cruelty of his immigration policies when you talk about the United States government separating children from their uh, parents. We need to move aggressively and do what the American people want toward comprehensive immigration reform.
0: Senator, I want to ask you, one of President Trump's uh, major nominees is on the docket for the Senate this week. Gina Haspel nominated to be the next CIA director, the first woman CIA director. You've announced your opposition to that pick. Now, I have to ask, both Gina Haspel and former CIA director John Brennan were in the CIA when enhanced interrogation techniques, otherwise known, by human rights groups as torture were used. A lot of people who oppose Haspel's nomination now over waterboarding, et cetera, voted yes when John Brennan was nominated by President Obama back in 2013, including you. Why, why is Brennan okay, but Gina Haspel is not?
5: Well, on this one, I would agree with John McCain uh, and tell you that I think, and, and tell you what Our leaders in the armed forces say, if the United States condones uh, torture uh, for other people, then that subjects our own men and women who are captured uh, to be tortured as well. Uh, I think Brennan did a good job uh, in his position. Uh, I have serious reservations about uh, this nominee and I will uh, oppose him.
0: You didn't have reservations about John Brennan. You voted for John Brennan. I guess my question is, well, whatever r- reservations you have about Gina Haspel, why didn't they apply to well, Obama's Well, it's, it's
5: not just, yeah, Jake, it's not just the issue of torture. Uh, it goes, I think, deeper than that, and that is uh, the uh, foreign policy that we have seen uh, from uh, Mr. Trump, uh, which was repeated today by, by John Bolton, something that I also... I strongly disagree with your former which cam- is one of the reasons I voted I voted against Pompeo as well
0: your former campaign chairman uh cha- campaign manager rather Jeff Weaver is going to be joining us later on the show he's out with a new book uh here's what he writes about you in this book quote I believe Sanders is the strongest candidate to reclaim the White House in 2020 in this moment in history his authentic message of positive change and his appeal to a broad range of voters, gives Democrats the best opportunity to put together the coalition that can reclaim elected officials at all levels. Run, Bernie, run. I have the book right here. It has a blurb from you right on the very, very top talking about how great this book is. Run, Bernie, run. Are you gonna follow Jeff Weaver's advice?
5: Well, I'm gonna urge everybody to read the book. It is a very good book, and Jeff did a great job for me uh, in my uh, campaign. You know, we started in that came, campaign and I think three or five percent in the polls. We ended up winning uh, 22 states and 13 million votes. And Jeff was one of the reasons we accomplished that. It's a good uh, book.
0: Not not really an answer to the question, but I understand you don't like answering this question. Senator. Well, Bray- let me also answer yeah, this. Yeah. Jake,
5: let me take this opportunity to wish my wife And all the mothers of this country, a very happy Mother's Day. How's that (laughs) pronounced?
0: Well, you went from a deflection to a pandering, so I love it. Thank you so much, Senator. (laughs) I appreciate it. Have a good Mother's Day to Jane, please. Thanks so much for joining us. Normally, lawyers get you out of sticky situations, but Rudy Giuliani seems to keep getting his client, President Trump, involved in more potential scandals. Is he helping or hurting? That's next.
2: You
6: have to have some freedom to speak in, in a private meeting, to speak candidly. We've all said things in private, especially in smaller groups that we work with, that we would never say publicly. I think she's handled it appropriately. Um, I'm really disappointed that, uh, that, that someone uh, would undermine the president by leaking that out of a private meeting.
0: That was uh, Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney uh, essentially defending White House staffer Kelly Sadler after the joke she made about Senator John McCain dying uh, became... Uh, Public, my panel's here with me. I want to point out we have two authors here. Uh, One of them, uh, of course, Jeff Weaver, former campaign manager for Bernie Sanders with his new book, How Bernie Won Inside the Revolution That's Taking Back Our Country and Where We Go From Here. Also, Amanda Carpenter is with us and she is the author of
4: Gaslighting America. Why we love it when Trump lies to us.
0: There we go. So two, two books of perhaps for Mother's Day. Uh, you can go out and get them. You love your mother. Let me let me start with you, Congresswoman uh, Val Demings from Florida. Um, what do you What do you make of the fact that not only do we have people in the White House refusing to apologize uh, for this horrific comment, this joke made about? Senator John McCain dying of brain cancer, um, but actually seemingly more upset about the leak than they are about the comment.
2: Well, let me say this. Uh, First of all, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Oh,
0: let me, I'm (laughs) remiss in that. Two mothers (laughs) at the panel, thank you so much for being here.
2: Of course. But you know, when I think about this country and all that it represents, what we are currently hearing and seeing is not the America that I grew to love, the America that I work hard for every day. John McCain really represents all that is good and right with this country. He has served this country as a war uh, hero, uh, was a uh, uh, prisoner of war, has come back and continued to serve in Congress. I have a ton of respect for him. And to say the comment in public or private is totally wrong. But if you make a mistake, the America that I know apologizes. If the mistake, if, this, if it was said, just say, I apologize for it, it was wrong, so we can move on.
4: Can we address for a second Mercedes Schlapp, who's Mercedes widely Schlapp, rumored... Mercedes Schlapp,
0: she's a White House staffer, and she said in a private meeting that leaked out the other day, quote, I stand with Kelly Sadler. And again, in this mm-hmm. private meeting with Sarah Sanders and Ms. Mercedes Schlapp talking to the communication staff, more upset, apparently, about the leak than they are about the yeah, comment.
4: Obviously a horrible joke, but then for people to come out and say, I stand with a staffer who did it. Listen, Mercedes Schlapp is a person, her and her husband, there's a big New York Times profile who told America that they stood with Donald Trump through his worst times out of patriotism and duty to their country. I'm sorry, Mercedes, you are never going to make America great again when you trash the legacy of someone like John McCain, who has done more for this country, served more, suffered more than anyone in that White House ever did. So spare me the fake outrage over a bad White House Correspondent Center joke. When you stand by someone who denigrates someone like John McCain.
0: I guess what I don't understand, Michael, is I can't imagine anyone I know making that joke in private. It's just, it's so cruel. I mean, he's dying of brain cancer. It's, it's horrible. We've all seen bad jokes in
3: private and public. I think that the White House is, look, is looking at the leak because, you know, uh, there's so many leaks out of the White House. Mm-hmm. I understand that, uh, that Kelly called uh, Meghan McCain and apologized to her. I think she handled it well by doing that. I think if this was a a comment set on the record by the White House, they would absolutely have to apologize. This is a leak by some people who are working hard to undermine this president. I don't think it's the White House's responsibility to apologize for it. It's already been apologized for. I think we need to move on and stop wringing our hands about
6: it. Jake, but this is, look, this tone is set at the very top. We all remember when Donald Trump was insulting not only John McCain, but every uh, American service member who has been a pr- uh, prisoner of war uh, as part of their service uh, during the campaign when he said, I prefer people who didn't get captured. So this tone is set at the very top. The White House does, though, an apology to John McCain and to all the other service members that the president has denigrated uh, over the course of his campaign and as president of the United States. Listen,
3: the, the, McCain has, for the longest time, been a combative senator. He's worked very hard against this president. He's done things to undermine this president. You have to understand that not everybody on this planet loves John McCain. But at this point in time, we all need to step back and let his family and the senator live in peace. It's really really disappointing, It's
2: really disappointing, though. though, when the target suddenly becomes John McCain and not the person who made the comment or the person who stands with them. It may have been said in private, but it is public now. Making a private phone call to apologize is not enough. Apologize publicly. It's the right thing to do.
4: And mm. I Let the family be in peace. This is the second phone call Meghan McCain has to take from someone apologizing. Rather than spending those precious moments with her family, she has to take the time to listen to these people apologize. That is protest, and then go in the spotlight and then have everyone watch her response. That is a sick thing. A lot of people go through these terrible situations with family who have cancer, but to do it in the public spotlight and then pretend like you're the good guy because I called to apologize? No, that's a double whammy of disrespect against that family.
0: Um, uh, Mitt Romney, who's running for Senate uh, in Utah, uh, tweeted uh, after this comment, John McCain makes America great. Father, grandfather, Navy pilot, POW, hero bound by honor, an incomparable and irrepressible statesman. Those who mock such greatness only humiliate themselves and their silent... Accomplices, silent accomplices. That's a strong statement for for uh, Mitt Romney.
3: Yeah, Mitt Romney's got a habit of making strong statements like that. But when, when it comes to mocking or or or, or uh, coming out against the White House, I- I'm just uh, listen. Politics ain't beanbag. This is a very difficult uh, arena, and John McCain has been out there punching. Uh, like uh, with the best of them, but, a not, lot, but he this is—I'm not fun done people yet. with cancer. I, of course you don't. I think it was a joke made in bad taste. It wasn't a joke made in the public arena. We don't know that it actually took place. It's a leak. But at this point in time, the White House needs to get 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 a handle on who's leaking out of that place because this stuff is just absolutely
6: outrageous. Jeff, look, the problem they have over the White House, the reason why they have leaks, is that there's nobody over there who has loyalty to the principal. He stands for nothing. They're all grifters. Uh, they're giving the country away to the rich and the powerful. There's, there, there is no cohesion over there. You didn't see this kind of leaking uh, in the Bush White House. You didn't see this kind of leaking in the Obama White House because people over there had a common purpose. There's no common purpose over there. It's a feeding frenzy. Is that one of, is that one of the problems here?
4: Well, no, I sort not. of... I, a comment that Rudy Gianni recently made sticks with me when he described Jared Kushner as possibly disposable in the Russia investigation, and I think that is the mentality at that White House. Anyone who is not helpful to their agenda... Is disposable, even if you're a war hero. And keep in mind the context of this discussion. They were talking about John McCain's opposition to the CIA nominee, who has a record uh, supporting uh, enhanced interrogation techniques, which like Congress do- now considers torture. Um, we had a big debate over that. But that is why they said, well, he's dying anyway. He suffered through those kinds of torturous techniques. And then they said too bad. He's disposable.
0: Thanks one and all for being here. Really appreciate it. Happy Mother's Day to you, Congresswoman. Happy Mother's Day to you, Amanda. Thanks everyone for being here. Good luck with your book. It's Mother's Day. And while every mom out there deserves to be celebrated, raising kids in a White House comes with its own unique challenges. We'll talk about that next. Stay with us. Welcome back and to my mom and to my wife and to you. Happy Mother's Day. What does it take to raise a child in the White House? Well, First Lady Melania Trump's predecessors offer some tips. In addition to all her other challenges, First Lady Melania Trump also has to raise a son at the White House.
2: As a mother myself, I know what goes into raising a child.
0: She's always said she tries to provide as much normalcy as possible, reportedly checking her son's homework and preparing him for school.
4: I like to keep it life as normal as possible for my son, Baron.
0: But as Melania's predecessors learned, it's tough being first mom.
2: You know, they've got to be able to function as
1: normal people.
0: Before Melania, the last first lady to raise a boy in the White House was Jackie Kennedy.
2: It is rather hard with children. There's so little privacy. I don't mind um, for myself. but I think it's very hard with them.
0: On the plus side, there's a lot of space for entertaining.
2: Lots of slumber parties, lots of, you know, special occasion parties here, and just all the time we could, we spent with her friends uh, up on the second and third floor, which are the personal private family parts of the house.
0: And although this first family is used to a lavish lifestyle, growing up amidst 18 acres of history is special.
4: We love to live in Washington.
0: Former First Lady Laura Bush spoke about the example she tried to provide for her daughters.
2: I think if we want our children to have healthy lifestyles, we need to show them how to do it.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.